No mud, no lotus. My doctor, Stephen, said he was concerned about my recent blood tests showing a rise in the biomarker we used to track myeloma. Over the past 18 months, I've had over 100 doses of a chemo drug called carfelzomib. It's for use in patients with myeloma who've had at least two prior therapies but still have disease progression. That is, the insidious, unrelenting disease we call cancer. The rust that never sleeps. I felt a jolt of panic as he spoke about the recent spike. Not because I was overly worried about the uptick. We've been down that road many times before. But because of his demeanour. Stephen's a world expert in myeloma. And if I was reading his body language correctly... He was agitated by the recent upward trend in the test results. I focused on my breathing and tried not to catastrophize. Advice from a book on mindfulness I was reading called No Mud, No Lotus by the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. Nhat Hanh recommends mindfulness as a remedy for suffering and describes a range of tactics to foster more happiness in daily life. In the book's beginning, he points out that despite all the literature and advice on how to cultivate happiness, humans continue to suffer. As a result, many of us believe we're failing at happiness or doing it wrong. He says most of us don't understand the true nature of suffering and happiness, and he draws on Buddhism's four noble truths to explain the deep occurrence of these life experiences. He argues that a more nuanced understanding of suffering and happiness offer many insights, including that suffering is a kind of mud that's essential for deep happiness. Hence, no mud, no lotus. Buddhism's Four Noble Truths distill the essence of the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, who lived mostly in northeastern India between the 4th and 5th centuries BC. Briefly, these truths state the following. There is suffering. There are actions that cause suffering. Suffering ceases. And there are actions that end suffering. Mental and physical suffering is part of life. But we can be so caught in the busyness and preoccupations of life that sometimes we're barely aware of our suffering. And even if our suffering does emerge in ways we can't ignore, such as major pain or strong feelings of grief, anger and anxiety, we have a million ways to distract or numb ourselves against these feelings, especially with painkillers, social media, food and sex. Take a pill. Grit your teeth. Deal with it later. Besides, navel-gazing is self-indulgent. For losers, goes the mantra. But denial and running away won't do as long-term solutions, given the human condition and the physical realities of life. They're bound to return, again and again. Furthermore, avoidance behaviours disconnect our body from our heart and head, which means we're asleep at the wheel of life. This separation can put us in grave danger because we fail to notice or deal with our pain, our addictions, our obesity, our depression, until it's too late. 
By contrast, mindfulness means being aware of what's happening in the present. It's a way of coming home to ourselves, which, with practice, deepens our understanding and ends our suffering. Thich Nhat Hanh likens mindfulness to a mother who recognises her baby's cry and cradles it in her arms with love. Being present to our suffering, without judging it or hushing it, is a tender mercy we can give ourselves any time we need it. It begins by stopping, taking a moment, and simply giving our attention to our in-breath and out-breath. So that's what I did as my doctor pointed at the cancer numbers on his screen and expressed his concern. I kept listening as he talked, but I tuned into the sensation of air filling my lungs and letting it go again. No past, no future, just breathing, just dwelling here and now. During this reconnected my mind and body in the moment, and despite my doctor's concerns, I felt calm. I was alive and well. What happened with cancer and chemotherapy was something for another time, not now. When we acknowledge our fears and physical pains, we build our capacity and intuition to heal our suffering, says Nathan. Doing this means we can learn the art of suffering well, learning how to make the most of the mud in our lives to grow lotuses. Strengthening this skill for mindful self-compassion also means we can bring this balm to the suffering of others. Nathan says cultivating mindfulness and the happiness it engenders doesn't mean we'll have no suffering at all. But we will suffer less intensely and less often. Even so-called enlightened people suffer because it's in the nature of humans to create suffering through our endlessly forming desires and attachments. But mindfulness is an antidote because recognising our physical and emotional pain is the beginning of the end of suffering. Checking in and being present on a regular basis is the first step. How? Focus on the breath and nothing else. And then notice any sensations in the body. Do I have tension? Aches? Pain? And what am I feeling right now? The mindful noticing is a way to stop being a mindless, disconnected zombie. Our way back to ourselves. A way into the mud of awareness where I can grow the lotus of understanding and compassion. No mud, no lotus. Without suffering, there is no impetus to learn how to cradle ourselves or others, or to grow in joy and wisdom. Mindfulness also breaks the myth that happiness is something for later, a dividend that's due after we've reached our goals, be it the right job, right partner, right house? Will we slog on, wedded to the idea that being happy will have to wait, even though we know plenty of people with all the badges of success who aren't happy at all? Axis Mundi is a multidimensional metaphor for the centre of the world and the core of our being. It's the hub 
of our 360-degree life experience, grounding us symbolically to earth below and sky above. Like the lotus, we are rooted in mystery and mud, but always rising, seeking release, chasing insight and divinity in the heavens, beyond the ground of being. The axis is like the eye of a storm, the point of truth, the quiet place at our centre, that if we wander too far can see us sucked into chaos and distraction at the margins. Myths and religions throughout time have recognised axis mundi in geological features, art, sacred shrines, and even in human form. As examples, Japan's Mount Fuji, the Mount of Olives and Calvary near Jerusalem, Mount Sinai in Egypt, and Mecca in Saudi Arabia have come to represent landmarks representing sacred sites or places that hold the powers of nature and the universe. Temples, churches, pagodas and totem poles also suggest a union of above and below, resolving the opposites and contradictions we imagine between male and female, light and dark, heaven and hell, life and death. Plant symbols are also fertile metaphors for the axis mundi and the resolution of dualities, especially in enlightenment stories featuring the lotus, the Bodhi tree and the tree of life. The cross of Christ's crucifixion is also an axis tree symbol representing suffering, death and ascension. In a similar way, our bodies have been described as axis or column symbols in disciplines such as yoga, tai chi and meditation. Shamanic myths have also used hollow bones and sacred pipes as axis symbols, portals that allow communion between the physical and spiritual worlds. So it's probably safe to say that axis mundi serves many of our hopes and dreams especially our notions of freedom, resolution, and our experience of the sacred. In this sense, it's how and where we hold our longing and desire for union on the journey home.